And good morning to you. I'm Dave Mitchell. Thank you. It's going to be with you. You know, it's uh, thinking about the Super Bowl. I love football. Love football. And speaking of generosity, the New England Patriots are the current Super Bowl champions. It's theirs until about 6, 7 o'clock tonight. So remember that. And it's the generosity of the New England Patriots that has graciously permitted and allowed the Denver Broncos to play in the Super Bowl this year. I just think we need to give credit to where credit is due. Okay. Moving on. Get that on my system. It's more personal than anything. Um, we love a generous God. I was reading the newspaper. How many, just out of me, how many take the Orange County Register? Oh, maybe twice as many as I thought. Ten. <laughs> Yesterday's newspaper, Generosity. This couple, Marty and his wife, that I can't pronounce her name, Burbank, Christian couple, go to Eastside Christian Church. They went to the Rio Vista Elementary School, these little kindergartners that you can see there in the lower part of the screen. They went to that classroom because Mr. and Mrs. Burbank are going to pay the college tuition of these kindergartners when they become college students. For four years of college, they are paying their way. He says he's guessing it's going to cost him about a million dollars. And he's debating in his mind, should I buy a sailboat? He, was, he, he's, he got married in a sailboat. He loves to be on a sailboat. He wanted to buy a sailboat. He says, I'm not going to buy a sailboat. I'm going to put a kindergarten class through college. And this is a I, from what I understand, a poorer area, Rio Vesta Elementary. The te- school teacher, the kindergarten teacher, right in the middle between the husband and the wife there, she also goes to Eastside Christian Church. And so that is a model. We can't do that. We all can't do that. But it raises the bar when you think, how do I want to invest for God? The only thing that makes that story better is if they were members of Calvary Church. Otherwise... <laughs> We certainly honor them because they're getting the word and they're getting Christ over there. But not to be outdone, this same week, the same very week, was one of our own. Robert Stone was on the front page of the Orange County Register. Why was he there? Because he goes to convalescent facilities and he takes that violin that he's gifted in and he plays for folks, he asks their permission, then he sits down and just brings some beautiful music to them to help them in, really, in some very dire and difficult circumstances. And the thing about these two people, you got the Burbanks, you got Robert Stone. One gives money to provide a college education for four years for a classroom of kindergarten kids. The other uses music to provide a ministry to the heart and the soul and the mind of those who are incapacitated in some way. And I thought, but both of them are being generous. And I just want to open our minds and our hearts to what generosity means. For some it's music, for some it's money, time, talent, and treasure. Giving, support, the care for other people. This morning we begin a four-part series on generosity. It's not because we're going after the pick-your-pocket. But to understand this morning the generosity of a God who loves us as much as he does. And Jesus is teaching us about that. And I invite you to take your Bibles in hand. In fact, there's an outline that's in the bulletin. You probably will benefit 
if you follow along, because what I'd love to do is to take a passage like Matthew 6, 19 through 34, and then break it down and say, this isn't what Dave says. This isn't my opinion. These aren't some thoughts I had in the course of the week. I didn't read the register and suddenly come up with an idea for a message. We went to God's Word. We studied what Jesus said. And this is what He wants us to understand about a generous God that we can trust in. Jesus is speaking in Matthew 6, and it is in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It is His kingdom message. Jesus came to offer Himself as a king. He came to rule over the nation of Israel, to set up and establish His kingdom. And Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's His constitution. This is the way the life would have been if they had followed Him as king. Someday He's coming back, and He will establish. This will be the constitution. This is how we will live. In the meanwhile, we aspire to this. We want to grow towards that. In Matthew 6, let me read verses 19 through 24 as we take it in two bites. In verse 19, Jesus is saying then to the Jewish people, He is saying, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and wealth. Jesus begins in what I like to put as a focus of generosity. The heart of the Hebrew mindset that he's speaking to, as they spoke Hebrew and Aramaic in those days, with the Old Testament written in the Hebrew language, the heart of generosity in the Hebrew mindset is a feeling, a compassion, It literally means to incline myself, to bend towards someone in need. It's this idea of caring for one another, just very basic. The Greek mindset, the Greek word used, as we'll see it next week, means I'm ready to do something. I want to be active. So the Hebrew has the mindset of a feeling of the heart. The Greek has the mindset, I want to be busy doing things to help combine it together. You have that perfect combination of generosity. And so Jesus then focuses our generosity in this way. You need to store up for yourselves heavenly treasures to strengthen and protect your heart. And he breaks it down because the treasure is the place that my heart lives the most. And whatever happens to that treasure happens to my heart. For example, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If that's where my heart is, my heart will be destroyed, broken, or stolen. Everything this world provides, all things, all people, all situations, they will either be destroyed, broken, or stolen in the course of time. And if that's where my heart is, my heart's going to be destroyed. My heart's going to be broken. It's going to be stolen away. Then he says, in contrast, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. When my heart is there, I never lose those things. 
We need to define what those things are. But when my heart is treasuring those things that are close to God, that are eternal, that are heavenly in nature, they will never be destroyed. They will never be broken. They will never be stolen. It's a mindset. It's a focus that I have. There's an old story that often is quoted that comes out of the great hymn writer and Methodist preacher John Wesley. And he and his brother have written tons of songs, and many of which we still sing today. Well, John Wesley has captured that mindset when the story is told that a bunch of people came to him as he was preaching and told him that his house had burned down. And they were frantic, saying repeatedly, your house has burned down. And he says, I don't own a home. The house that I live in, excuse me, have you heard anything that I just said? Surely my microphone wasn't on, but good job back there. Let me begin over. No. John Wesley said, I don't own a home. The house that I live in is owned by God. God's house is burned down. And then he said, one less responsibility for me. That's what you call a focus on heavenly values. That anything that is in this world that is going to be destroyed, broken, or stolen will be destroyed, broken, or stolen in time. And if that's where my heart is, my heart will be broken. But when my heart is where God is, what God values, my heart is protected. And that's how God wants us to live. We also know this. My focus needs to enjoy this very clear, singular purpose for our lives. Taking just the one verse, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. The Greek word for clear means a singular focus. When the accumulation of the treasure of this world get into my heart, my heart, as he says, gets dark, my eyes are no longer clear. In other words, my eyes are never longer focused singularly on what God wants. But when I might have my focus on heavenly treasures, Jesus is saying, my, my eye is clear. It's singularly on what God has. I love this quote that I threw on the back side of the outline that you would have received if you took a bulletin today. And I just want to read it really quickly. I know you can read it on your own as well. But uh, G. Campbell Morgan, a guy from several generations past, but these old-time writers had a way of crafting together words that uh, we don't often see so much today. So you have to sometimes think, what does he mean? But here's what he said. He says, you are to remember with the passion burning within you that you are not a child of today. You are not of the earth. You are more than the dust. You are the child of tomorrow. You are of the eternities. You are the offspring of the deity. The measurements of your lives cannot be circumcised by the point where blue sky kisses green earth. All the fact of your life cannot be encompassed in the one small sphere upon which you live. You belong to the infinite. If you made your fortune on the earth, poor, sorry, silly soul, you have made a fortune and stored it in a place where you cannot hold it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. Hey, that's a mindset that is very far from my life many times. That God says, I want you to store up 
heavenly fortunes that are in a place where your heart will never be broken, stolen, or destroyed. And I want it to be a singularly focused where you pursue life and that's what you're committed to. Because then he says you need to decide, is that what you're going to do? It's a choice that we make. It's not circumstances that we enter into based upon income. It's a choice that I make no matter whether I make $12,000 a year on Social Security or I make ten times that on some occupation or profession. It's a mindset that Jesus says no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. And again, he's not saying how much you make. He's saying whatever you have, whatever your earthly treasures are, you need to decide. Are you going to serve that or are you going to serve me? Because one gets destroyed and one stands forever. Now one of the ways that helps me to think about this is to how I should treasure things and not become idolatrous in things. It comes out of a book by Tim Keller that many of you perhaps are acquainted with. He's one of the guys that a lot of people like me like to quote because it makes us look smarter than we really are. But he's written a book called The Reason of God. And in it he begins to define for me ways in which my earthly treasures can capture my heart in unhealthy ways. I want to list these things. So you've got to listen carefully or buy the book. But notice the areas in which idolatry can capture my heart. And these are all things that can be destroyed, broken, or stolen from me. If, you're cent- if you center your life and identity on your spouse or your partner... You will be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. The other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you center your life and identity on your family and your children, you will try to live your life through your children until they resent you and have no self of their own. At worst, you may abuse them if they don't meet your pleasure. If you center your life and identity on your work and your career, you will be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. At worst, you will lose family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, develop deep depression. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you will be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money. You'll be willing to do the unethical things to maintain your lifestyle which will eventually blow up your life. If you center your life and identity on pleasure, gratification, comfort, you will find yourself getting addicted to something. You will become chained to the escape strategies by which you avoid the hardness of life. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, You will be constantly overly hurt by criticism and thus always losing friends. You will fear confronting others and therefore will be a useless friend. If you center your life and identity on a noble cause, my ideology, things I want to fight for and really to die for, well, you will divide the world into the good and the bad and demonize your opponents. Ironically, you will be controlled by your enemies because without them, you lack purpose. 
If you center your life and identity on religion and morality, just being a do-gooder, you will, if you are living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, and cruel. If you don't live up to your moral standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. I encourage you to read that over on your own. Because he's listing these areas of relationships, work, spouses, children, uh, ideology, causes, gratification of this world. These are treasures of this world in all of them. All of those things he listed can be gone in destruction, in broken conditions, or stolen away. Hearts that are treasured of those things are hearts that are vulnerable to being destroyed. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to focus to be on the heavenly things, the things that I value, the things that are close to my heart. And when you focus on Christ and who He is and His values, His attributes, His characteristic traits, when that's my desire, that heart will never be broken because I treasure those things. And all these other listings that Keller gave us, they are not vulnerable to the erosion factor that this world gives to those rusting away. So that is the focus. And then we'll talk about the faith. But I love this quote of John Calvin. Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God's lost his authority. So he wants us to have that focus on the Lord. My faith goes into God. So here's the second part. Jesus says, I want you to have faith in the generous God, not just focus on the heavenly values. Let me read the second half of what Jesus gave this message. In verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which he, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all those things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If we could have the faith to believe every word that Christ gave to us, our lives are transformed, and we walk that way. The faith that God is a generous God. Now, sometimes God reminds us that we have a ways to grow. Just yesterday, I was out at Cook's Corner. You know Cook's Corner? It's a biker bar, kind of sleazy, dirty, uncomfortable inside. I took Jessica there on Friday. Um, it's my daughter. 
and I was uncomfortable the whole time. But uh, these guys, anyways. So yesterday I rode my bicycle out there. I like to ride my bike out Santiago Canyon Road, cycling, exercise, cycling. And I pulled into the parking lot there early in the morning and looking at some of the Harleys that are parked there. And there was a Harley parked there with a little sidecar on it. And I hadn't seen one of those in a long time. So I was looking at it, kind of, how's that fastened? You know, I didn't know they made those things and all that sort of thing. I was thinking to myself. And then up walks the owner of this Harley and sidecar. His wife is getting the helmet on and trying to get in the sidecar, and I'm chatting with him. I said, that's your bike? Yeah, that's my bike. Yeah, when did you get that? I said, well, I got back in 2003. It's the 100-year anniversary version of the Harley, and, and they offered the little sidecar back then. I understand they're not making any more. I said, oh, it's too bad. And so we just talked about, uh, you know, how he got that and all that. He says, yeah, that's, that's my one bike. I have another bike as well. I said, oh, really? You have two bikes? Yeah. I've got one back in the garage back at home. It's a CVO Harley. Now, if you don't know Harleys, I'd like to understand what's wrong with you, but... but <laughs> If you did know Harleys, you would know that the CVO is the most expensive Harley-Davidson you can buy. If Harleys can get more expensive, the CVO is that bike. I said, wow, you have a CVO because you got the bigger engine and more of this, more of that, and all that stuff. I said, yeah, yeah, I got that, yeah. I said, man, that's, that's really amazing to me. Two bikes, how do you decide which to ride? Oh, it's not, no big deal. He said, it's no big deal because I won the Mega Lotto. And so I went to the Harley-Davidson store and I looked at the most expensive bike they had. And so I wrote a check out for $50,000 and bought the 2013 CVO, or, or 2014 CVO Harley-Davidson. I said, wow, you won the Mega Millions? Yeah, I'm the guy. That was back three years ago. So... Really, not as much as today in terms of... But, but he had all... said, yeah, paid off all my debts. It paid off my line of credit, paid off everything, and, and bought that bike, and uh, we're living pretty now. I thought, oh, wow, that's really something. I'm, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> and so... So I got back on my bike, my little bike, and I pedaled home. And uh, it takes an hour to get home from Cook's Corner to my house on my bicycle. And uh, as I was pedaling away, I just got to thinking. I said, God, does it ever seem to you as though you're being generous with some of the wrong people in the world today? <laughs> A CVO? And God reminded me. He didn't verbally say this, but he touched this jealous part of my heart says, Dave, don't you dare compare what you have with anyone else. I am a God that has provided for you abundantly. Please, with gratitude, say thank you. And so when we talk about God's provision, it's not, but they know, it's, but I have been so blessed by my God. And how dare I look at others and by comparison and contrast think, well, they got, and I, you know, no, doesn't work that way. With God, it's faith that our Lord is a generous God to me and He will fulfill His promise to provide for me 
regardless of what I look at in everyone else's lives. And how does that faith work? Here are four things that that faith provides for us. The faith will drive away the worry because you have such great worth to God. That's what Jesus is saying. This is His Word. This is the truth. This is what He wants us to rest in, His faith, our faith in Him. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. The word worry in the Greek language means to be distracted, to be sent out in different directions. My heart is fractured that way. When I'm worried about the things of this world, my treasure, my heart is being destroyed, broken, or stolen. Remember, that's what He said. When I worry about having those things, my heart is being broken because my treasure is in this world, not his world. In fact, it's interesting. The English word for worry comes from the German word for worry, which literally means to strangle. And so Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be strangled. I don't want you to have a distracted or broken heart drawn in different directions because you're worried about the things of this world. That's not how I want my children to live. Then he goes on to say, Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, they don't reap, nor do they gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Of course they are. When I got out of my car this morning and parked over in the parking lot over across the street, there was a parrot sitting above it squawking away. And I've never seen a parrot worry about where the next bug's going to come from. And Jesus says, look at the birds. Aren't you worth more than they are? And so one of the ways that I transferred that, because I don't think much about the birds unless I'm eating a Kentucky Fried Chicken, but I looked at my dogs. Here are the two dogs that we have. Little Scottish Terrier on the right, and uh, the little white one is Lucy. We're sort of fostered to adopt uh, her right now. She's my niece's dog that went to China and left her with us, and so we were sort of stuck. Lucy has some emotional problems that we're trying to help her with, and uh, so she's always a bit like, "What are you up to?" And uh, but we love her, sort of, and so we're trying to help her out as best we can. But one of the things that I love about my dogs is that never once have they ever worried that I would feed them each day. They don't wake up in the middle of the night, where's my next kibble going to come from? Why? Because they have complete faith that Joy and David will feed them every day. So I look at those dogs, you know, as, as fun as they are to have that. I look at them and they are for me, a model of faith. That each day they believe that we will be there, we will wake up, and we will come home. And every time we come home, they're so happy, oh, they're wagging, and they bring, Lucy always brings one of my shoes down from the closet and holds it in her mouth, and I don't understand, that's part of her emotional disability. But she brings those things to me, and they just couldn't be more thrilled. And I keep saying to them, we come home every day, you can trust me. But when it comes to food, they never have to worry. And they don't, because we love them, we'll provide for them. So God says, Dave, as you look at the animal kingdom, birds or dogs, or the lilies of the field, as he talks about, I provide for them continuously. Don't you ever think that you are worth less than them. If I'll do it for them, 
I'll much more do it for you. And so God says, learn from the things I've created, that I am a generous God. Your faith will add health and strength to your life. Because he says, who of you by being worried can add a single hour to your day? What faith does is it adds strength to our lives. It adds health to our lives. Not only does my faith get rid of worry, but my faith actually brings health to my life. I was reading about this, uh, this whole thing of worry and stress and what it does to the body. And so here's my little medical uh, venue for the day. Stress causes a hormone. It's according to doctors. I didn't go to medical school. But according to hormone, causes a hormone called neuropeptide, or NPY, to be excreted in our hormonal system. And here's what the doctor said. During periods of stress, nerves release a lot of NPY. And it gets into the bloodstream where it inhibits the cells and the immune system and that lock, that look out for and destroy pathogens in the body. That stress makes you sick is no longer a myth. It is a reality and we need to take it seriously. Worry and stress actually decreases the hours of our lives. Jesus knows that. He created us. He made our hormonal system. He crafted our bodies together, every single one of us. He made us to function well. He wants us to function well. He wants us to be healthy and well. And so he says, you can't add a single day by worrying about my provision for you. So just trust me. Because I love you. And you're worth more than any other creation in this world. And then your faith will allow you to pursue God's kingdom. I'm not going to be hung up on the things that are eternal because I'm worried about the things that are temporal of this world. So therefore, I will provide for you. I want to free you up to pursue my spiritual needs that are out there. I want you to be all in on seeking the kingdom of God. I don't want you burdened by the worrisome conditions of earthly treasures. Just trust me. Trust me with your kids. Trust me with your spouse. Trust me with your work. Trust me with your clothing and your food. Trust me with the earthly things of this world, your body. Trust me with those things because I want you freed up to pursue my kingdom work. I don't want you burdened about the things of this world. That's how he wants us to live. I love a good example of that. Uh, is John Newton. John Newton is the guy, that the slave trader who became saved amazing grace that came out of that transformation as he's set free in February being Black History Month and how John Newton is one of those great shining examples of emancipation of saying this is a wretched way to live to capture anybody anybody regardless of skin color and hold them as a slave so God changed him And he set the slaves free and he set himself free. And that's why he says, oh, wretched, wretched person that I am. Amazing grace that would save a wretch like me. So John Newton loves to tell the story of, comes out of Alexander the Great's life. It's a legend. I don't know if it's true, but I love it anyways. It's good enough to be true. Alexander the Great would purchase girls to be his wife. And one man came up to Alexander the Great and says, I have a beautiful daughter I'd like to sell to you. And he says, okay, talk to my treasurer and work out the details. So he goes to his treasurer, and and he says to the treasurer, it's an enormous sum of money, much higher than anybody had ever asked for. And he says, I want this much for my daughter. And the treasurer says, I can never approve that on my own. I need to go to Alexander the Great and get his sign-off on this because it's such a 
large number that we've never used before. So the treasurer goes to Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great is told the enormous sum of money that this citizen wants for his wife to marry you. And Alexander the Great says something like this. I love it. I like that. And why I like that? Because this man treats me as if I am king. Treats me as if I am wealthy. Treats me as if I am going to be generous. And he expects that from me. So give him the money. Because I like people that treat me the way I really am. King, wealthy, and generous. And John Newton says that's our God. That he loves it when we come to him with the expectation that he is king. That he is wealthy. That he is generous. And so we ask big. We have faith in a big God that He will provide. In all the ways that we worry, God says, put it aside. I want you to know how much I love you and how worthy you are of my provision for you. And so Jesus gives this beautiful Sermon on the Mount so we can seek first His kingdom. Not so we can live like kings on earth, but we can seek His kingdom, not worried about the things on earth. That's what He wants for us. And when we do that, we don't worry about it. Day by day, we, we walk by faith. And He says each day will take care of itself. Don't worry about tomorrow. So we plan, we, but we always put it in God's hands. If God wills, James says, because each day has enough trouble of its own. He says, I want you to walk by faith. And that when you and I enter into that generous world of faith and focus on kingdom living, God does abundant things. When everybody is a partner, God does abundant things. I want you to see a video of what God can do when each of us are part of his generous way of life. Take a look. Lal Rua lives in a tiny remote village in Mizoram. Her family sustains on a meager income of less than one dollar a day. Despite abject poverty, simple women like Lal Rua are spearheading a revolution that is sweeping the world of missions. Their movement, Bufai Khan, or a handful of rice. Bufai Tam is a practice where each Mizo family puts aside a handful of rice every time they cook a meal and later gather it and offer to the church. The church in turn sells the rice and generates income to support its work. Rice has been the staple food of the people of Mizoram. You are giving what is basic, essential, fundamental to your life. You are sharing that with God. With the passage of time, people have given more than rice, vegetables, firewood, cereals, and their regular tithes, empowering the church to be self-sufficient. Mizoram state is the most backward state in India and we are the poorest of the, of the poor. 
but still we can raise funds for the ministry of the Lord. At the close of this last physical year, we received altogether around 13 million US dollars. Out of that, 12% of our total income is from the handful of rice collection. With 1,800 missionaries in India and many overseas, the Mizoram Church is known as a missionary church world over. This success is attributed to their selfless and creative giving. It is not our richness or our poverty that make us serve the Lord, but our willingness. So we Mizoram people said, as long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. It's just staggering to me that in the poorest of the poor, a cumulative for one fiscal year, one year, $13 million. And of that, 12%, to over a million, from one cup of rice every meal. When we enter into the generosity of a God that says, I'm provided for, you have provided for me, and my focus is God's heavenly values, and my faith is in God's heavenly provision for me, that I'm set free to seek first the kingdom of God. And that's the world he invites us into. And perhaps the most shining example of God's generosity and our focus on him, on the eternal values, and our faith in him and his generosity comes through his son, Jesus Christ. Christ in heaven at some point in eternity past, the father and the son had this conversation, son, you're going to go to earth and this world has fallen they are spiritually impoverished. I want to bless them with spiritual riches of forgiveness and eternal life in heaven. And Jesus, you're going to give your all so that they can have it. And Jesus says, I'm all in. Born of a virgin, grew up as a man, died on the cross as a man but fully God so that his sacrifice could take our place on the punishment we deserved and that his deity is enough to forgive us of all of our sins. And in generosity, He lavishes us with His grace and forgiveness to know Him, to live for Him, and be blessed by Him. And we're going to remember and give thanks with a heart of gratitude, as I said on the screen. With gratitude, we say thank you as we pass out the elements of the bread and the cup. The bread symbolizes that body, the cup, His blood, and it gives us an opportunity to give thanks to the Lord for all that he's done for us. So we're going to pass out the elements. We invite you to hold them for a moment. And then in unity, we'll partake of them together. Let me give thanks. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for his body that was crucified for us. For the blood of Jesus that lavishes us with your grace of forgiveness. That allows us to know you. As a mighty God where you say you are worth more than anything in this world to me. And that in such a valuable place 
we can be the beneficiaries of your blessing, your provisions, your spiritual wealth. Thank you, Father, as we give thanks to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.